Welcome to the LCGC podcast, Lab Water Hints and Tips, Part 2, Optimal Handling of Purified Water. This podcast is brought to you by EMD Millipore, who is the Life Science Division of Merck KGAA of Darmstadt, Germany. EMD Millipore offers a broad range of innovative performance products, services, and business relationships that enable their customers' success in research, development, and production of biotech and pharmaceutical drug therapies. Through dedicated collaboration on new scientific and engineering insights, and as one of the top three R&D investors in the life science tools industry, EMD Millipore serves as a strategic partner to customers and helps advance the promise of life science. EMD Millipore is known as Merck Millipore outside the U.S. and Canada. And now, here's your host for this podcast, Michael Schwartz. Hello, everyone. This is Michael Schwartz, contributing editor of LCGC Magazine, and I'm here with Joseph Plurad, North America Field Marketing Manager at EMD Millipore. Today we'll be discussing Lab Water Hints and Tips, Part 2, Optimal Handling of Purified Water. Thank you for being here today, Joseph. Thanks for having me. Well, to get started, can you quickly review some key contaminants that could be in ultra-pure water and what they can do to an analysis? Sure. As we discussed in our last podcast, the primary contaminants we focus on are organics, ions, and particles. And we include bacteria in the particles category because of how they behave in a chromatography system. So I think it's pretty clear to our listeners what organics do. Since the bulk of chromatographic analyses are for organic compounds and molecules, you don't want organic contaminants that will either compete or mask the organic that you seek to purify or identify. Also, certain organics can foul chromatography media or resins, which could result in reduced column efficiency, unstable baselines, and pork peak resolution. Similarly, ions can cause competing reactions along with separation and resolution issues, especially in ion chromatography. But when chromatography is coupled with mass spec, certain ions will create what are known as adducts, which will suppress the mass spec signals and could make molecule identification difficult. Finally, particles, including bacteria, can cause a lot of problems, including clogging frits, fittings, pre-columns, and the columns themselves. In high-pressure systems, while it's not likely to cause the columns themselves to rupture or burst, remember that these columns are designed to take lots of pressure, there are real risks of having the fittings and the pumps fail in particular. And at a more basic level, with particles, you could expect to replace pre-columns and fritted fittings more frequently, which add cost and time to your analysis. So clearly, a well-designed and well-managed water system can help reduce the impact of these contaminants in your everyday laboratory work. What are some good practices in using a water system to generate your chromatography-grade water? Well, first and foremost, make sure that the water system you're using is optimized for the analysis and the experiments you plan on running. Today's high-purity water systems employ multiple purification technologies to deliver water that exactly meets your technical requirements, regardless of whether you start from tap water or are using your facility's deionized, distilled, or reverse osmosis systems. In addition to the standard ion exchange and UV technologies, for example, companies like EMD Millipore have contaminant-specific products to remove specific classes of contaminants, 
be it trace organics, volatile organics, persistent organic contaminants like endocrine disruptors, and bacteria and particles. There are also filters that can uh, remove certain enzymes like nucleases and proteases. And it's also remember, uh, important to remember that one size does not fit all in this case. While a nuclease filter may be perfect for certain life science work, it could actually complicate things if you're doing basic organic separation and identification. Once you're committed to a system, operate it regularly and keep it very well maintained. Purification elements like ion exchange media and physical filters do need to be regularly replaced as they become fouled or exhausted. Cartridges and filters should be rinsed prior to collecting water to ensure that any preservatives that may remain from manufacturing are flushed out of the system. And of course, proactive cartridge and filter replacement ensure that you stay ahead of your contaminants. Remember that organic contaminants can reduce the ion removal efficiency of resin, and once all of the ion exchange active sites are consumed or blocked, the cartridge provides no purification power or benefit at all. And in either case, this can happen relatively quickly. UV lamps should also be replaced when they're unable to oxidize organics or kill bacteria. And depending on the manufacturer, this could be up to every two years. Finally, make sure you are regularly monitoring and reading the water quality prior to collecting the water from use. Both resistivity, which will give you an idea of ion removal, and TOC, or total organic carbon, which will help you understand if trace organics in the water put your system and experiments at risk. Generally, freshly produced water that is 18.2 megaohm centimeters resistivity with TOCs less than five parts per billion are fine for most chromatographic techniques. What are some best practices for handling the purified water once it's been dispensed from the system? That's a great question. And one thing to remember is that water is a universal solvent. So it will absorb contaminants from the air as well as the container you put it in. So to minimize the impact on your experiments, we're gonna ask you to consider a few things. <clears throat> First, only dispense what you plan on using for a particular experiment or run. If you only dispense what you intend to use, you minimize the total amount of exposure the water gets to the air and to the container. Stored high-purity water will degrade with simple absorption of CO2 from the atmosphere. And if the container itself isn't well-managed, you do run the risk of organics and particles also entering the bottle. Letting water stand for days in between runs does introduce the risk of bacteria and other contamination, which we really want to avoid. Also, be mindful of the container you use. On the last podcast, we talked about avoiding plastic containers. It makes sense. Plastic containers, depending on the materials of construction, could include anti-static agents, plasticizers, stabilizers, or even dust and plastic fines that result from the manufacturing, package, or storage processes. However, going with glass, we recommend surface-treated amber glass bottles or borosilicate glass containers. Regular glass bottles can leach silica and alkali metals, which will cause problems. So basically, anything you can do to minimize storage and exposure to contamination risks that most affect your work will become your best practice. Is there anything else you can do to minimize the recontamination of ultra-pure water? Yeah, again, finding ways to reduce the exposure is always the best practice. 
you know. So in addition to uh, picking the right size and materials of construction, you should really try to use the smallest container that you need. It helps minimize the exposure and contamination and uh, will keep everything uh, very clean. Another thing to consider is to minimize the exposure and the contamination of the tubing that you would introduce into these bottles, especially if you're transferring caps and uh, moving from one bottle to the next. Uh, leaving tubing or the caps on a countertop, for example, can easily pick up contaminants from the bench top or from the atmosphere. And if your work is sensitive to it, you might want to consider bottle vent filters and CO2 and organic traps. But also, ironically enough, you might want to avoid having to clean the bottles you use, especially in automatic glassware washers. Most commercially available detergents utilize strong bases that can etch the glass and dissolve alkali and silica from the glass, which will be absorbed into the water. Traces of surfactants and detergents, which are organic, could also remain on the surface of this glassware, um, only to be leached off with the ultra-pure water you dispense into the bottle. And remember, the same risks exist for bottled water. Your certificate of analysis tells you the condition of the water when it was bottled, and not necessarily when you use it. What it won't tell you is what happens to the water after you unscrew the lid and you run into the same risks of contamination that you have from a water purification system. Well, thank you for that overview, Joseph. We appreciate you being here today. This has been Michael Swartz, Contributing Editor at LCGC. Thanks to all for listening. You've been listening to the LCGC podcast, Lab Water Hints and Tips, Part 2, Optimal Handling of Purified Water. This podcast was brought to you by EMD Millipore. Thanks for listening. Thank you.